Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thank you for joining us. Coming up on this Godcast, we'll talk with Eric Elness about his new book, Asphalt Jesus, which chronicles the 2,500-mile trek he and several other people took across the country in an effort to put action to progressive Christian principles. God had some surprises for them along the way, and Eric will tell us more. We'll also take a meditation moment, and we'll wrap it up with some holy humor. First, I'd like to share with you my excitement. My first book will be published next year. My book entitled Bulletproof Faith, A Spiritual Survival Guide for Gay and Lesbian Christians will give readers valuable tools and advice on how to survive in a religious world that's hostile to GLBT Christians. Jossie Bass, a Wiley imprint, will publish the book in the fall of 2008. Jossie Bass has produced many excellent religious books, including Eric Elness's new book, Asphalt Jesus. Jossie Bass has a great collection of religious titles. You can visit their website at jossiebass.com. That's J-O-S-S-E-Y-B-A-S-S dot com. How far would you go to share your faith? How far would you go to reach out to people who are different from yourself? Eric Elness, pastor of Scottsdale Congregational United Church of Christ in Scottsdale, Arizona, went 2,500 miles from Phoenix to Washington, D.C. to engage in dialogue with other Christians. Elness and his team of walkers met people in every state they visited who extended them a generous welcome, even if they didn't agree with everything the walkers stood for. Their journey began on Easter of 2006 and is chronicled in Elness's new book, Asphalt Jesus, Finding a New Christian Faith Along the Highways of America. Elness helped found Crosswalk America to promote the Phoenix Affirmations, a progressive Christian manifesto that includes such radical ideas as God's unconditional love for everyone, including GOBT Christians and those who practice faiths other than Christianity. Those beliefs, of course, caused some controversy during their walk, but they also served as a touchstone for healing conversations and many pleasant welcoming congregations in places where one might expect to be shunned. I recently talked with Eric about his book. I began by asking him what made him want to take a 2,500-mile walk. <laughs> yeah, that's something I resisted mightily. Yeah. <laughs> the idea came. Uh, it's not something you just kind of pick up and do. And I'm I'm not a walker. I, I have no history of doing such things other than in uh, high school. I used to hike a bit. But uh, uh, no, what happened was uh, myself and, and a lot of people um, in my com- faith community were just really uh, tired of and and worried about the way that uh, Christianity was being proclaimed in the media particularly and that the, the people who were, uh, who were proclaiming Christian faith there um, their views seemed very very different from our own and in fact antithetical to our own in many um, instances one of our my, the members of my church one day summed it up best when she said in exasperation I'm just tired of being a Christian but I thought she, she meant but like B-U-T-T uh-huh. <laughs> I asked her about this she said no, 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 no. I, I'm just tired of the fact that if I'm in a situation and it comes out I'm Christian, I feel like I have to apologize all over the place. I'm a Christian. Well, but I, I love people of other faiths. I'm a Christian, but I care for the mm-hmm. earth and its ecosystems. I'm a Christian, but I uh, love gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgendered people. Um, I'm a Christian, but I believe in the separation of church and state. You know, but, 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 but. Right. And uh, some of us decided, well, uh, maybe we ought to um, hit the road and uh, proclaim an alternate uh, view and really help uh, people realize that, that not all Christians believe or think or look alike. True. Well, reading through um, 
the early part of the book where you're talking about being on some of these conservative Christian talk shows and, and facing this sort of opposition, I found it interesting that it really wasn't the issue of homosexuality that sparked controversy, but it was this idea of God's radical love. I mean, why do you think the idea that God loves everyone is so offensive to so many Christians? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, now, the, now, the issue of, of homosexuality uh, was, was an issue um, in each of those cases. However, in both of those cases... And as we found repeated around the, the country, um, they would kind of present with that issue, but then they'd say, well, our real problem is with mm-hmm. this, this, uh, this idea of God's radical love. Uh, they wouldn't put it quite that way. Uh, but it was very much intimidating to them to suggest that, for instance, that there could be, that God uh, uh, could love and continue to love someone in eternity who um, may not be of Christian faith. Um, for instance, um, and, and the, the idea that perhaps um, if you know, when we die and we haven't pleased God in a certain specific way mm-hmm. and followed a particular path that we might be thrown into some sort of torture chamber for eternity, that was very threatening um, to them. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with fear. I mean, we've been taught, uh, uh, people have been taught from early age that um, there is this place um, called hell and and I, I personally believe there is a state of separation from God uh, mm-hmm. but for eternity being tortured I think that takes it way beyond um, the biblical evidence and the evidence from the rest of our faith tradition and um, if you don't have if, if you know if you remove that fear that God would throw you into this place um, you take away 90% of the power of this extreme fundamentalism yeah and, and you have one of the best explanations of the origin of hell that I think I've read in a long time and would highly recommend to anyone who's looking for, you know, a refutation of, of this idea of an eternal hell. Yeah, I, I decided with Asphalt Jesus, my latest book, to really cover that in, in depth because uh, in my book, uh, The Phoenix Affirmations, um, that had sparked the idea of God's love that could be that's expansive was very intriguing to people. They wanted more meat on that, and and so I decided to provide that with Asphalt Jesus and really go in depth. And we find that when you know when Jesus when that the word hell comes out of his mouth, um, almost in every single circumstance um, that that word is Gehenna, which was actually a physical location, a, yeah. a, a garbage dump outside of the Jerusalem walls. And I go into the history of that, and yeah, it's very, very fascinating, um, and it really undermines the, the popular conception. And I did like there was a line that you wrote, if you happen to think that Jesus is of no use at all unless he keeps you from frying in hell, then I invite you to reconsider your love and respect for Jesus. <laughs> that really hit me. But you're talking about that Jesus isn't here to save us from frying in hell, so why? what was Jesus' purpose? Jesus was here to really open our eyes and open our ears uh, to the, the the state that that uh, to the fact that the, the kingdom of heaven or the realm of God is right here in our midst right now. Mm-hmm. The very first words out of his mouth in the Gospel of Mark, for instance, he's, you know, he's baptized and and uh, by John and says. Um, the kingdom of heaven is already here. Repent, uh, and, and that Greek means is metanoia. Change your whole way of thinking, uh, and and you basically get a life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's right here. And of course, the people you know listening to him would have thought this was crazy. I mean, they had the Romans over them. Most of them were you know, dirt poor. Uh, life was pretty hard, and to suggest that, that God's realm is readily available right now, in fact, has already arrived, um, just, I mean, I, I'm sure if the crack would have been <laughs> available in their days, they would have thought that maybe he was a crack addict. Uh, 
But uh, that was the real um, uh, amazing message of Jesus. And in fact, um, and, and that's not very well understood. Most people think, for instance, when he's talking about salvation, he's talking about the afterlife. And mm-hmm. yet when you go through each of the Gospels and you pull out every time he mentioned that word salvation occurs, you discover that about 90% of the time he's talking about this life stuff. Um, reconciliation within the community or a, a, a fragmented spirit being made whole or more whole, um, uh, the poor being fed, um, physical healing and so forth. His his emphasis was so very much on this world realities and, and finding God and God's realm in the present and living in the joy and then uh, an abundance of that realm. Mm-hmm. Then, um, And yet we, we push him off now to the afterlife and to the end times and so forth. And that way we can kind of focus our attention away from our everyday lives. Oh, exactly, <laughs> and, and yeah. the message doesn't ha- make any difference to us, then, or very little. He just becomes this ticket into heaven, and we can do whatever we want on earth. But uh, the fact of the matter is, um, his, he's not a ticket to heaven. He is actually a, a way of revealing the heaven that's already in our midst. You also say that God wants us to take risks with, with God's love. And, and I, I think that's you're, you're, you're skirting that when you're talking about uh, finding abundance and, and, and God's kingdom right now. How, do we, how does that work? How do, how do we take these risks with God's love? Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, well, first of all, in, you know, when we do pass on, if there's ever a chance to stand before our Maker and, and God you know, kind of shows us our life, um, I firmly believe that if God is going to point out uh, the mistakes I made um, in this life, it's not going to be, Eric, you were too loving, you were too great, you gave away too much grace. <laughs> Rather, it's the opposite, um, that uh, we tend to withhold grace, we tend to withhold uh, to try to rein in love and, and not let it out too much, not be too risky with it. And and so it, it seems the way to the, if that's what we, if other people listening to this can relate to that, one would think that it makes more sense, it's riskier actually not to take risks without love and mm-hmm. grace um, than to keep it in. And so it's important, I think, that, um, to go the extra mile with people, um, even people who really may disagree with our points of view. And, and on our walk across the country last year, we made a point of taking risks like that and meeting up with people who were very much opposed to our points of view. And you know, aside from those radio hosts that I write about in Asphalt Jesus, um, we also write about some uh, extraordinary experiences of meeting up with uh, even fundamentalists and, and evangelical Christians who um, very much disagreed with um, uh, some of our message and uh, and actually finding uh, their humanity and our, and them finding our humanity and finding a basis for relationship and a basis for listening to one another. That was marvelous. And one of those was Jesus First Baptist Church. Tell us about your experience there. Well, Jesus first, um, and that happened early in our walk. It was the um, we were walking, passing through a very conservative area of Arizona. They're so conservative that not even the the traditionally mainline churches like Presbyterian, um, uh, Methodist, and so forth would. Um, offer us hospitality so we didn't have a speaking engagement it was the only Sunday for the whole walk we didn't have one and so I decided I wanted to go find the most conservative church I could possibly find and just simply um, visit it and um, people were like why are you trying to pick a fight (laughs) no no I just want to listen to their message we're about to enter the Bible Belt and I figured that if they had a a time of introduction of visitors I would stand up and tell them um, my name is Eric Ellis I'm with Crosswalk America and we're walking across this country to proclaim you can be a lover of Jesus and love people of other faiths, love you know, gays, lesbians, etc., etc., um, and sit down and see what happens. 
<laughs> Everybody said, oh, you're really trying to pick a fight. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just going to say who I am and what I'm doing there. There you go. Uh, I figured that the worst thing that would happen probably would be that we'd be ignored. And, um, to make, and I write about this in the book um, at length, but to make a, a long story short, um, or a medium story short, anyway, <laughs> uh, we, uh, what we discovered was um, as we got to you know, dwelt among these people, we, we were uh, there for a Bible study and for um, the, uh, the worship service, um, they got to know us a bit better, and the pastor had been reading our, our promotional materials that had our full views, and we got to know them better, and um, it, we... We found uh, it, was, it was like this magic happened. Um, mm-hmm. The the, uh, the community, uh, rather than rejecting us after we, I had stood up both in the Bible study and in the worship service to proclaim who we were and why we were there, uh, the congregation actually ended up embracing us. They saw that we were walking for Jesus, and that's what mattered most to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that we were walking for Jesus. Jesus is kind of a Rosetta Stone in, sen- in a sense um, between people of different um, forms of Christian faith, and that gave them. Um, us an entree into their world, and because they were also a Christian church, that gave you know <laughs> them an entree into our our world, us an entree into their world, and and um, the the, path, the 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 congregation invited us you know forward to to sing and pray with us. The, the pastor spoke about what we were doing um, with admiration in his sermon. They ended up taking a, even an offering at the end mm. um, uh, to help us on our way, and, and yet we had clearly stood up and said, you know, we'd made you know, that statement about openness to other faiths, and and you, you can be a lover of, of Jesus and love gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender people, or be one, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. Clearly, hot button issues for them. Um, and so it really kind of shook us up. <laughs> we weren't really expecting that. We thought, I thought, like I say, I thought we'd be ignored, but yeah. we didn't expect to be embraced. And it's not as if you know that then, then they came around and around <laughs> to our point of view, right. and everything was all you know rosy. However, it was a magical moment that that suggested quite strongly to us that it's possible. Right. It's possible to find some common ground. It's possible to listen to one another. It's possible to look into each other's eyes when you disagree strongly and um, and find uh, uh, people's humanity. And if we can do that, then we have what it takes to work through these difficult issues. Mm-hmm. And inclusion of the gay and lesbian community and our issues within the church was, was part of, of this. I mean, it was part of the many things that, that you were doing. And you discussed that in Chapter 8. Tell us about Chapter 8 and, and what we'd find there. Sure. And actually, that issue uh, of inclusion of uh, LGBT people um, was really where we found uh, the most overt pain on the walk, um, even though the, the, this more radical grace was more controversial. Um, that's where um, people were really at in terms of express, expressions of pain. So that, that actually, that issue comes up throughout the book. In fact, I counted it the other day, um, 39 pages of this just over 200-page book um, have something to do um, overtly with LGBT equality. I mentioned that. I deal with it. But Chapter 8, um, I deal with it specifically in a chapter called um, uh, Silence of the Christian Lands. And we were in Columbia, Missouri, staying with um, three gay men um, in a house. And they, they did not attend church, but one of them had heard about us through, um, there's kind of a buzz on the Internet. Um, they'd heard about it and said, hey, we'd like to be of help. And so he, um, he welcomed us into his home, and then he introduced us to one of uh, the people who were renting a room from him who was gay. And <laughs> the guy, his name was Jason, 
and he, he's a very he's a wonderful guy uh, with just piercing eyes and a, a, a short hair and beard and looks like he would have been a John the Baptist uh, figure <laughs> at least better with more clean cut and uh, he says um, don't take this personally but I hate Christians <laughs> like oh no problem <laughs> um, that kind of made us curious, and yeah. um, and over time we decided, hey, let's let's invite these guys out for a beer and and and, and listen you know, to their story and, and really get behind that that uh, fierceness. And mm-hmm. we did, and he really opened up um, very well. He was, he was a wonderful person. In fact, we stay in contact to this day. Uh, Jason, you talked about. Um, I mean, identify the people who are the, the, the blowhards, the people who hold up signs saying God hates gays, right. funerals, and so forth. And that, of course, made him mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, what made him angrier were uh, those of us Christians who um, will see that happen and let it happen without raising a voice, an alternative voice. Yeah. Um, and he was asking, you know, he said, you know, if people were holding up signs saying, uh, instead, you know, instead of saying AIDS is God's answer to homosexuality, if they were holding up signs that said cancer is God's answer to smoking hmm. or diabetes is God's answer to obesity, the whole country would be up in arms. Right. And yet you can say <laughs> AIDS is God's answer to homosexuality and, and where are people? They're all silent. Uh, similarly, if they were, you know, once they started that group that protests gay funerals, uh, once they started protesting military funerals, hmm. there's all of a sudden this big uproar about yep. that and wanting constitutional changes and so forth. Well, where were the Christians before yep. um, offering that alternative voice? And you know, he knew pastors in his in his community who were uh, very quietly open and affirming of LGBT people, but who ne- he insisted never preached it at, um, about that issue from the pulpit. So mm-hmm. I asked him how he knew that because he never went to church. <laughs> <laughs> he had lots of friends who did. Um, and he, yeah, he just asked, why should I give my faith, my, my life, to a faith that won't give its life to me? Well, good question. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a good question myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but the, night, the wonderful thing is, is that um, he, he was not aware of anybody who was raising an alternative voice. And he was very, very curious about Crosswalk America then and what we were doing on this walk across the country. And um, after the walk, we stayed in contact. And um, we even included him. We came back and filmed him for the film of the walk, which is called The Asphalt Gospel, which is just starting to go across the country in selected cities. Ah, good. Um, yeah, people can find those cities on our website at crosswalkamerica.org. Um, but uh, yeah, Jason's in that as well as a number of others. But um, he uh, said, you know, I don't, I'm not of the same faith as you, but I think we may share the same God mm. in the end. Yeah. Excellent. Um, tell me, what was the biggest change for you out of this whole experience? What, you left Arizona in one way. How did you come back? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm still feeling the changes and, and still um, assessing them. But I think one of the, the, the major things that we learned on the walk were two things, really. One was that this kind of open faith, uh, which are really well articulated in something, a set of um, principles called the Phoenix Affirmations, which mm-hmm. people, again, can access at crosswalkamerica.org, 12 points that are organized around the three great loves that Jesus identifies, love of God, neighbor, and self. And they include many of the principles that we've just been talking about. Um, 
that there's this great thirst and openness to the, um, those ideas, um, which are very classic Christian ideas, but yet many people in certain Christian faiths, uh, communities have been told you have to step outside of Christianity to believe these things, mm. you know, such as equality for LGBT people, or that, uh, that there may be other legitimate paths to God, even as we claim Christ's path of their own, things like that. Um, there are so many people out there who are hungering for that message and have not heard it proclaimed um, within the Christian faith. Um, they are uh, part of the church, what uh, Jack Spong calls the, the Church Alumni Association. <laughs> yeah, yep. They're out all over the place. And when, when we walk through areas, no matter how where we were, no matter how small the town and no matter how the conservative the area, we could always find supporters, even if the churches had not um, welcomed us. We, the people, when they found out what we were walking for, came out of the woodwork. Hmm. Um, the, so that the depth um, of of the desire for Christianity to be more inclusive and compassionate um, was just just reverberating and ricocheting all around us. It was amazing. The other piece which which surprised us was that we can actually um, uh, find support for even these more uh, these views that are considered more um, uh, controversial within conservative Christian churches themselves. Now, the whole church may not, you know, rise up and say, ooh, we love the Phoenix Affirmations, we love Cross yeah. America. But yeah. what we find regularly is that a number of people within these churches would come up to us and say, thank you, you're walking for me. We had a, a fundamentalist um, Christian woman actually in that same area where Jesus First Baptist was. She didn't go to that church, but she uh, um, she was at this camp that we were staying at, it, and she knew what we were walking for. And at the end, she came, comes up to us and says, you know, thank you. Um, I want to thank you for the, the, the stands you're taking, especially on some of the hard issues and especially about homosexuality. She said, uh, my son... Uh, came out as being gay two years ago, and it's been a constant source of strife in our family ever since. My husband, in fact, has disowned him. And in our community, we live in a small town. I mean, if, if a person is gay, they're either, you know, they're first brought down to the pastor's office where they're either straightened out, so to speak, mm-hmm. or um, they leave town. And our, our son has chosen to leave town, and she said, I just cannot believe that God would create people this way only to condemn them, that this must mm-hmm. be a natural part of his path. He is a spiritual person, uh, a good person, and uh, I can't believe that God would condemn him, so uh, thank you. And she said, I hope that your message um, gets out there and prevails because it just might embolden people like me who are in these church communities too afraid to speak out, Mm -hmm. or in these small towns too afraid of ostracization. Maybe we could just (laughs) get our voices together and, 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 and make a change. Along with a core team of walkers, a film crew also went along for the journey. The movie called The Asphalt Gospel is playing in selected areas and will be available on DVD before the end of the year. For more information about the movie, Crosswalk America, and Eric Elness' new book, Asphalt Jesus, visit their website at crosswalkamerica.org. realized that my sexual orientation was different from the majority of the people around me, I felt alone. 
I remember reading in a book that only 2% of the population identified as gay or lesbian. Not realizing that even such a small percentage translates into millions of people, I felt even more alone, thinking that in the small town where I grew up, I'd never meet anyone who felt like I did. So I did what most of us do. I hid. I pretended to be something that I wasn't. Apparently, many Christians sitting in the pews of many mainline churches today can understand my pain. They, too, are hiding, pretending to believe in things they don't really believe in, but are afraid to raise questions. Eric Elness, in his book Asphalt Jesus, talks about the many hidden Christians they discovered on their walk across America. Elness writes, Many Christians who yearn for a more inclusive, compassionate, and intellectually honest form of faith feel so alone, like they're the only ones who feel the way they do, but they're not. Even in the smallest towns, in the most conservative areas, many people are not only sympathetic to those same desires, but also actively gathering in house fellowships, book groups, and unsung churches around the country, or are yearning mightily to do so. I wondered how such a phenomenon would be so vast and yet so hidden. These are certainly not the Christians who got noticed by the media. Funny, I thought to myself, 50 years from now we're going to look back and see that the angry and tolerant Christians who get most of the publicity ultimately represent a dying tradition, while those who are on the forefront of something wonderful are the last ones the media are interested in. The media are so busy covering the funeral that they're missing the resurrection. We need to stop believing the media hype that there are only two extremes in Christianity on the right and on the left. There are a vast number of Christians who are right there in the middle, ready to hear a new word, yearning to express their doubts and grow their faith in a new direction. As GLBT Christians, we're called to be part of the church's resurrection. We're the ones who can shine the new light on the path to God. We are the ones that can help remove the stumbling blocks that have been placed on the path by those on the extremes of both sides. Let us be faithful to our call and know that when we reach out to others on the path, even those who may disagree with us, we're extending God's grace to those who hunger and thirst for it. As always, we wrap up with some holy humor. The Sunday school teacher was carefully explaining the story of Elijah and the prophet and the false prophets of Baal. She explained how Elijah built the altar, put wood on it, cut the steer in pieces, and laid it upon the altar. And then Elijah commanded the people of God to fill four barrels of water and pour it over the altar. He had them do this four times. Now, said the teacher, can anyone in the class tell me why the Lord would have Elijah pour water over the steer on the altar? A little girl in the back of the room raised her hand with great enthusiasm. To make the gravy, came her enthusiastic reply. Thank you so much for joining us for another Whosoever Magazine Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Kiraly. Other music included samples from Solace and Barry Phillips, all available from magnatune.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. 
You can find Whosoeverins in your area when you join our Rainbowfish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, we hope you'll consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It costs money to produce this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web where we've been a valuable resource for our community for more than a decade. You can donate by credit card by going to our website, whosoever.org slash donate. Or you can send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means all donations are tax deductible. Thank you for listening. May God truly bless you until we meet again.